Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block, hosted by Ed, Jody, and Steve, joined by several special guests today. As always, we are live, inviting anyone listening to this live to join in by Zoom or by phone. We'll be up as a podcast on iTunes, Rumble, SoundCloud, etc. very shortly after the end of this podcast. Just want to welcome everybody. Good afternoon again. Hello. How's everybody? I think we lost one member already. It must be a very exciting episode. <laughs> so today we are joined by uh, Todd. Not sure if you want your last name used or not. It's up to you. From Weld County, Colorado, who is representing a movement to um, migrate his county to the freer state of Wyoming. So welcome, Todd. And why don't you give us your sales pitch? Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Um, sales pitch: um, Colorado has changed dramatically over the last, so oh, say, twenty years or so, and it has been um, used as a model of how the liberals are to take over a state, and they've really written a, a playbook on how to how to do that. Um, so their idea was to take over Colorado. They did that. And um, we're starting to see the same things starting to happen in other states. Uh, Texas is uh, one of them that uh, we're probably going to start to see a big liberal movement uh, happen there. So one of the things that, uh, that really started getting this going uh, was a vote that was put in front of the people of Colorado on the pushback on fracking and the bill was to push it back a half a mile which would pretty much eliminate every square inch of colorado to be fracked and the people of colorado voted it no so um the governor didn't like that and all his we like to say his little liberal cronies didn't like it either and they decided to pass it through the legislature so they tried to shoot it about uh, half a mile is, um, or um, 1800 feet is what they were, were shooting at. And so far that looks like that's uh, gonna go ahead and pass. And now that uh, Biden has been elected and pretty much putting the squeeze on all the um, fracking on uh, federal lands, uh, now we're just down to private lands. And then private lands, they decided that anything within, I think it's 1800 feet of basically anything, any structure, any water, um, anything um, from a chicken coop to a puddle um, that eliminates a, a lot of uh, areas in the state to be, uh, to be fracked. Uh, and then also the, the governor, and this is where the rural and um, urban divide begins is the, um, the liberal Denver Boulder really don't like um, pretty much the rest of the state. The rest of the state is pretty, is pretty uh, uh, a rural area. And he's gone everything after everything from uh, your chickens have to be free roamed. So there's a lot of the, uh, the big chicken um, uh, farms in, in Colorado have left. And they go after, uh, they're going after the beef. They had uh, 
he brought in a lady that is a vegan and she is a, she controls the vets veterinarian side of the beef council in Colorado. So she can pretty much just stop all beef production well, any kind of production that deals with animals in the state of Colorado. So, um, so people are, there's a lot of people that are scared here that their livelihoods are going to be gone just because of um, really just a handful of people. So um, I started this basically on a whim. I saw um, in the Denver Post uh, an op-ed from a gentleman that said, um, all this stuff is happening again and Weld County might try the 51st state again. We, we tried that in 2013 and it didn't go over very well. And he said, maybe they'll secede to Wyoming. And I thought that was the craziest thing ever. Why in the world would we go to Wyoming? And so I built a Facebook page in November or uh, April of 19. And people started to think that might be a good way to do it. So in the last, well, since November, we went from about 3,500 people. I think we're going to hit 6,000 probably here in about another two or three days. So and um, I think our next big, big thing that we have is what we thought we could do. We were just going to petition the county commissioners to uh, look at moving to Wyoming, just moving Weld County, but it doesn't work that way. Uh, the, the Colorado Constitution, Article 1, states anytime you want, um, that lays out the boundaries of Colorado. So we're going to have to change that amendment. So we've decided, well, if we're going to change the boundaries of Colorado, then we're going to change the boundaries of Colorado. So we're starting to look at possibly getting uh, several counties. We just started to look in at this about a week ago, maybe not even a week ago, just a few days ago. And we're figuring that we could maybe it would be nice. We, we could probably drag 50 counties out of Colorado into Wyoming and make Wyoming a pretty big state. And that'd just be this little sliver of. So out of how many counties is 50 counties? 63. 63. So the obvious question is going to be if 50 counties wanted this, you would have enough votes to overwhelm the legislature anyway, and it wouldn't be a blue state. Correct. That's one of the problems. Well, the, the, well, the, the problem. <laughs> The problem with that is, for some reason, the Colorado GOP likes to fight a lot, and they argue about everything. So um, I always say the Democrats put up a Twinkie, they're going to lock arms, and that Twinkie is going to be in office. And you take the same Twinkie and put it up on the GOP, and they're going to argue about everything from the wrapper to the size of the Twinkie, to it's the wrong color, it's been smashed, and I'm not going to vote for that Twinkie, so I'm not going to downvote the ballot because you I don't like you people. So that's why we're kind of in the in the state of, uh, of the in the reason why we're we are where we are is, um, yeah. There's a lot of uh, Republicans that just I'm going to take my ball and my play things and go home, and I'm not going to play anymore. So, what's the game plan for success in your movement? So right now. Um, with this change that was just kind of thrown upon us, I had a meeting with the Weld County attorney and he kind of laid it out and said, what you guys are doing is, is not the proper way to do it. So he said, I don't want you guys to waste your time and your money and your, your effort. He said, so he pulled all the statutes out and said, this is the way you have to do it. So 
no matter if we move Weld County or we move two counties, or there was even a thought of we just kick Denver and Boulder County out of Colorado, um, it still comes down to a statewide vote. So it has to be put up that way. So we're probably going to look at um, asking counties if do they want to join this movement and leave some of the Western Slope counties. They might move to Utah and uh, some of the Northern North Eastern counties like Weld County might move to, uh, to Wyoming. So we might just see a big uh, split of uh, a lot of the counties in Colorado going to uh, Utah and Wyoming. So, so we have to find out which counties want to be a part of that. And then that had to go to a statewide vote. So. Okay. How does that work with the other states, Utah and Wyoming, for example, accepting you, you know? Well, we had, um, we had a radio station down here in Denver, uh, was doing an interview with, uh, governor Mark Gordon of Wyoming. And he was really, they were really concerned about what he was going to be doing because a lot of Wyoming is federal land. And they were just asking him what he thought of uh, Biden's plan. And, and uh, Wyoming's really, really worried because it would just it would decimate the uh, gas and oil and coal um, in Wyoming. And as a joke, uh, at the very end, um, it's the two people on the sh on the show and one's pretty liberal and the other one's kind of conservative. So he asked, he said, well, you know, have you heard of uh, Wyoming wanting to move to Weld County or Weld County wanting to move to Wyoming? And, and what do you think about that? And he said, I would absolutely love it if, if Weld County moved up here. We welcome up with open arms. And my phone blew up uh, right after that. If I've, you know, if I've heard it and what do you think? And people want interviews with that. And I didn't even hear the radio program. So I didn't even know what was going on. So I had to wait till they, they put it out on um uh, on the blog. And then two days later, um, Governor Polis from Colorado basically tells Wyoming, keep your hands off of Weld County because the people of Weld County are proud Coloradoans and there's no way they would want to go to Wyoming. And well, if we didn't want to go to Wyoming, if we were proud Coloradoans, then we wouldn't want to go to Wyoming. So there's that, the idea of people love the state that they live in, but the state is no longer the state that they used to live in. I still live in the same place, whether it's Colorado or Wyoming. I'm not going to move my house. I'm not going to tear everything out of the ground and move it to Wyoming. I'm still living in the same place. And whether we change the name or whatever, it's it's still the same place. It's just going to be a different name. I really like the idea, although I like the idea of getting rid of Boulder and Denver even more. Oh, yeah. It's one of the... Kind of fun. One of the things is that people think these lines on a map are some sort of sacred... Uh, you know, um, sacred lines that are put down uh, by God or, or, or brought down from Mount Sinai by Moses, but they're just lines on the map and they can be changed. Um, but you've got a real problem in that if the federal Congress has to um, approve it, I right. know you want to do the state one first and then hope that the federal Congress will right. follow the people. I, I sincerely doubt that will happen because there aren't really any people with backbone in the federal Congress, but I do wish you luck. Yeah, we do know that uh, um, it will go to a statewide vote, and then we're not sure if it's a statewide vote in Wyoming or it's just a legislative vote. Uh, then they, the two states would have to approve that, and then, yeah, it would have to go up to uh, the U.S. Congress. And uh, 
uh, with just why, uh, just with Weld County moving, there's not, there's about a million, there's about half a million people in Wyoming and there's about 320,000 in uh, Weld County. So you're almost doubling the population of, of Wyoming, but you were taking a teeny tiny little chunk of the population out of Colorado. So we'd probably see, you know, the, the representatives in Wyoming would probably go up by one or two and maybe Colorado's would dip maybe one if none at all. So, um, and then, you know, you throw in 30 counties or 40 counties or even 50 counties, Colorado significantly would lose uh, huge uh, house representatives and in in Wyoming would pick up a lot. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, interesting uh, hurdles that have to be, that have to be cleared. So, and uh, we just tell people that Wayne Gretzky said, you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So it's always going to be no, unless we ask. So we're going to ask. So why, why do you feel the need to stay in, in the state and, and, and commit yourself to this fight instead of just moving to uh, Wyoming yourself? I mean, I'm in New Jersey Ed was from New Jersey and just left a lot of people from the Northeast states like New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Illinois. Have, I want to have, go. Have left, have left for states like North Carolina, Florida, oh, yeah. et cetera. So why, why do you feel like you're committed to just stay instead of just leaving? Well, it's more than just, you know, I'm just, <clears throat> just, the, you know, the average household, but, you know, we have cattle ranches that have been out here since the early 1870s and they're just not going to be able to pick up, you know, thousands of head of cattle and, and move them to a different state. So it's more than just the, the single family. It's, um, you know, large businesses. Uh, Weld County is the number one ag county in Colorado and it's the number seven county in the country. So it would be really difficult to pick up, you know, a lot of that, uh, what's going on in this County. Uh, we could easily survive as our own state, but, um, once again, making a state is extremely difficult. It's probably even more difficult than just to move to a different, uh, to move to a different state. So. You have constitutional the, the, problems. Yep. yep. So what, what would it be? It would be just a little bit easier to move to a state that has the same values as the people of Weld County and Wyoming fits that, uh, fits that pretty well. So gotcha. I wonder if we could, you know, when we let Washington DC become a state, if we can slip in one of ours, but I doubt that'll happen because like Todd said, the Republicans are playing a very different game. Um, I want to segue on to a bunch of other topics. Thank you so much, Todd. We have a whole bunch of things you wanted to cover. Um, my pseudo-racist mind identifies Wyoming, Colorado, and South Dakota with Indian reservations. So I'll start by mentioning the Cherokee story. Don't know if you guys saw it. Cherokee Nation Principal Chief is asking Jeep to change the name of the Cherokee vehicles. No one saw that one coming, huh? <laughs> Big surprise. Is anybody surprised? And it's my so favorite sad. story. My favorite story, I think, of the week and what's going on with, I'll call it cultural lunacy. We could also call it this whole cancel culture is apparently YouTube was either pressured or did take down a chess channel because of so many articles of black versus white. Mm -hmm. 
They naturally assumed it was racist and they, I believe they actually took it down and they had to fight to get it back up. So I that think you've gone, bot, right. That was an that? artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Artif well, yeah, artificial intelligence, but that's what's controlling us on the more serious light. I'm sure we've all seen the stories about congressmen pushing cable TV to get rid of OAN, Newsmax and Fox News. That's not nearly as um, funny. I did want to talk about Cancun for a second. Just I know what my opinions are about this Ted Cruz issue. If anybody wants to quickly offer their opinions. Rush Limbaugh, I think, used to say, once I offer my opinion, there are no other opinions. Wasn't that his line? I think <laughs> I'll be was, It was a talent on loan from God. Well, one of them, yeah. One of my hands tied behind my back or my brain, half my brain tied behind my back. But I think <laughs> he said there were no other opinions. I think that um, this was remarkably obtuse, for lack of a better word, for him to do what he did. And I think it's obtuse to keep insisting it's no big deal. Of course, it's not as big a deal as Cuomo killing people in New York. Um, it just I, I have a little different take on that, Steve. And I, and I think I connect it to the, to the first story that you mentioned about Jeep and Cherokee. The big, the, the, the big takeaway I take from that is Cruz shouldn't have apologized. He can't appease the mob and he tried to appease the mob. And when you try and appease the mob, you just wind up getting strung up yourself. Was it a stupid and obtuse thing to do? Probably. Um, but he should have just dealt with it and he should have just stuck to his guns and done what he was going to do, whether it was come back or work from the beach or whatever he was going to do. When he starts apologizing, it makes me think that he didn't learn a damn thing from AOC eviscerating him a couple of weeks ago with that tweet. I mean, Cruz is supposed to be one of the smartest guys in Congress and that's just dumb and he's not learning from it. And on the Jeep, you know, and, and relating it to the Jeep thing, we, the, the, the owners, you know, Chrysler needs to just tell them to buzz off. Now, we all know that the big corporations in this country are in a competition to see who's the wokest and they're on the side of our enemies. So they're not going to say they're not going to do that. But it's the same principle. Appeasing the mob is never going to work. And it's just going to embolden the mob to make more and more demands. So I don't disagree with you on the apology thing. I'm going to tie it to something I've also talked about many times. Part of the problem with Congress is they no longer live among the people. And I think they forget they're clueless about what life really is. And they live in Washington, D.C. half the time and in fancy gated communities half the time. And, you know, he's pissed about his leaked texts, et cetera, et cetera. You know what? The rest of us out here are having real lives and real problems. I just think... It's part of becoming the elite. And I think we, anybody in Congress falls into that elite category, even a good guy like Ted Cruz, because frankly, it's impossible not to if you're walled off from your entire country's population for almost the entire year. Like we've said, several of us met working for Ted Cruz, um, directly or indirectly. You right. can't get within 20 feet of that man. You can't get within 20 feet of almost any senator in the United States without security pushing you away. They don't live in the world. And I always love it when Congress people, senators, they say, you know, I was just back home and I spoke to many of my constituents. I don't know any Congress people, maybe in New Hampshire, maybe in Wyoming, who have ever spoken to a constituent without security pushing them people away. So... I just wonder if it's not also part of that. If anybody else has a real quick comment on the Ted Cruz thing, then we'll move to something serious. Well, I'm just curious, Ed, what do you think, how should he have responded if not, I can see the pressure 
and I can see why you would need to apologize. It was kind of a bogus move. So why not apologize? I understand what you're saying. I'm just trying to, what would be, what would have been a better approach? Because probably to just ignore, deal with it. Sorry. I would say just to ignore the mob, let the mob say what it's going to say. They're saying what they're going to, they're going to do what they're going to do anyway. And no matter what he does, they're just going to try and distort it and make him look worse. And that's exactly what's happened. To follow up on Ed, I, I, uh, I would take the Kurt Schlichter approach and uh, uh, tell the mob something that a family program like this can't repeat. Um, and uh, they, uh, you know, his, his girls were going on vacation. He was going to chaperone him. It's been planned for a long time. I just can't do anything in Texas to restart electricity. So I'm going to go with them. Um, and I'm not apologizing for my, uh, you know, my family taking a vacation. So, Anybody, you know, uh, I don't know any Christians on this show. Anybody familiar with the book of Ruth? The book of Ruth starts out with Eli Melech. I don't know how you pronounce it in English, leaving in a time of famine. And he was one of the leaders of the people and it didn't end up well. And I think the optics of running out when you, he does represent Texas to the United States of America. And I do not believe this trip was planned. If you look at the text messages, it's more like instead of freezing here, let's buck out of here and get on the beach. So I think it was remarkably stupid. I tend to agree with uh, Ed P about what he should have said to people, but I, I just don't understand how anybody could have done something so ridiculously obtuse as not to get it. Moving back with Texas. So among you know all the fault finding, which is another interesting question and Apparently, a lot of the people on the ERCOT, on the regulatory board, have resigned, which is fine with me. Has anybody been reading about the issues of the unbelievable electric bills people have been getting? Yes, it's crazy. And so part of me says it's crazy. And my libertarian side says, wait a minute, did you guys, were you forced to buy electricity or did you sign a contract? And did you sign a contract that said, if I use more than X, Y, X amount of electricity, the price is variable. So Ed, you're following the story, right? Yes, I mean, I don't know, Wh which Ed are you talking to, me? Oh, the Ed. <laughs> I mean, sorry. you know, it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing about people who choose to go with green energy and then complain when the bill comes due later. And that's, that's really the take I get from that. Um, you know, they, they're, they're complaining about the cold. They're complaining about the bills. How about taking some responsibility for deciding to take 25% of your energy from, from these unreliable sources? So I, I totally agree with that. Um, and it gets back to the fact that most of the population is not involved in politics and has no clue what's going on. And 20, 30% of the population makes all the decisions. I have an issue with the electric bill thing. It's kind of like, you know, variable rates on your mortgage. And when it goes up, you complain. So I feel terrible for the guy who got a $17,000 electric bill. But didn't you notice that that's the deal you made? And now it looks like everybody's going to jump in. And again, it goes back to Republicans being Democrats. They're going to jump in and try to save everybody from the deals that they made. And that's kind of my issue. So I don't know if anybody wants to address yeah, that. But you know, you know what though? The problem is gonna be how this plays out in the minds of the American people and certainly the Texans. But look, 
when the average person says, oh, they got a $5,000 electric bill for seven days, or God forbid, like that one guy, $17,000, there's no way you're going to be able to have any sort of rational discussion that's going to be okay in the minds of the American people that say, well, that is kind of the contract they signed. Well, that's never going to be an argument that we can win even remotely. If anything, that's going to be one of those things that pushes people to say, oh, no, maybe the government needs to own all of it. And, you know, it should be free to everyone. That's how you get yourself boxed into that corner when we start justifying, well, this is how the market works in any way, shape or form. I'd like to bring up something that uh, Ed M has said a number of times, and that is the um, implied covenant of good faith and fair dealing in any contract. And I think that um, if you go into a store and say, I would like to buy this uh, pair of pants and um, there's no price on it. And you say, well, uh, I, you know, I would like to, uh, I, I'd like to buy it. And they say, sure. And they ring it up and they, and they make you put your credit card in and only then tell you that it's $5,000 for that pair of pants instead of before. Mm -hmm. they, if they said before, it's like, oh yeah, these pair of pants are $5,000. So be careful. And so when the um, electricity, spot electricity price went up, the uh, power company had an obligation um, to tell the people who were in this position exactly what the price of electricity was that they were using. And the people then could turn their lights off and turn their heater off and turn their everything but the refrigerator off. But they did not do that. So no, I do not believe that the people owe that money unless they were informed, and I haven't read anything about them being informed of the price. You can't just charge people a, price, a random price on things, uh, no matter what a contract says, without informing him beforehand of the price change. That would be like a variable mortgage where they don't tell you that the rate is going to go from you know 2% to 10% starting in three months from now. I mean, they have to tell you. And okay, so my understanding is that so I don't know about the rest of the country. In, in New York, you can choose your electricity and gas provider. And um, I don't know if it's like this in Jersey or elsewhere. And you get a choice of like 50 different companies that'll give it to you. And many of us moved to these companies years ago because they had cheaper rates. And all of a sudden we found out we're paying hundreds of dollars more a month. But guess what? We signed a contract with them. And when we signed it, it said our rates go up and down with the commodities market, with whatever other market. And I don't think even if it goes up to a million dollars, I have any claim to them when I accepted it's a variable rate. And when I canceled it, I didn't ask for my money back because I always say my dad was a contract judge. He said, if you didn't read the contract, please don't call me. So they don't, why did they have to tell me that it went up when they told me it's going to go up and down? Ed, you're the attorney. Well, um, I'm not sure that they do, but I think that Ed makes a good point, and not just because he's quoting me from private conversations. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, I think the implied covenant of good faith and fair dealing does apply to every contract. Um, and I think all Ed is saying is that even if the contract literally gives them the right to an arbitrary change, if the, the, the covenant of good faith and fair dealing says that you can't use legal means to deprive the other side of, of the reasonable benefits of a contract. And if changing the price from 
you know, whatever, you know, $5, a, a you know, per, per unit to $5,000 like cents or something. It was a 900%, I don't know, oh, to $900. It was huge. It was like cents to $900 per kilowatt. Right. I think that the point Ed is, is getting at is it should only apply prospectively after they've told you that this gigantic change is going into effect. Um, whether a court would, would find that, I don't know. Uh, but I think it's certainly a reasonable point to, to raise. Listen, I think these companies that I, this is this is how you get people collectively mob like angry. And this is how your business, your industries get taken down because you piss off the mob people. Excuse my language. You make so many Americans angry and then that emboldens and empowers the politicians to step in and make even more horrifying controls over your industry when this it's dangerous. I think look, Chuck Schumer was already out there saying we need this is why we need the Green New Deal. I mean, yeah. Okay, first of all, I got a point of order. If Heidi <laughs> Cruz can be pissed, Jody, you can be pissed on the show. I just listen, wait, pissed. hold on before you know why I'm angry at Ted and Heidi Cruz, they left their dog at home, it said, in one of the... That... Yeah. Maybe they couldn't afford a kennel. I don't know. I just find, I hear all of your arguments. I just find this infantilizing. And I, I almost always argue, I think pretty consistently about personal responsibility. And when you sign any type of a contract, your responsibility to know what you signed and to know what the costs are, et cetera. So even with the good faith thing, Where's your responsibility for it? They Steve, know when they move to Texas. I'm sorry? Price is a fundamental term to any contract. If you don't have a price term, you don't have a contract. You have a price term. And the price term can be linked to something. And why isn't that a price term? Well, that's the argument on the other side. I agree. And that is why I pay more until I chuck this other company. So again, when people made these contracts with ERCOT and this company, they had no problem getting super cheap electricity because they're in Texas where they have so much oil and gas, et cetera, et cetera. And now when it comes back and bites them, now I agree with you totally, Jody, but I think that's a problem in our country that the minute the big bad company actually executes the agreement that it said it was going to, that it made with you, everybody jumps on them. I agree. That's going to happen. But how is that? How is okay, that? Let me ask you this from the perspective of these companies, really it's so irrational to me that somebody was charged seventeen thousand dollars was that really necessary was that necessary of that company to do it i'm a capitalist but i like the whole conscious okay. capitalist so, thing because look these aren't i get private, what you're um, i totally agree these aren't but, private companies in in yeah, the capitalist not. sense of the world uh, uh, the electric companies are not are, are not capitalists just like uh, the you know, Martin Shkreli got all sort of um, abuse for raising the price of, uh, you know, EpiPens to, you know, from 50 to $800. And well, why was he able to do that? And that's because that's the way the government has set up the medical industry. And well, right. That's because of the monopoly that the government gave him. Okay. And that's where it's unfair. But this goes to the whole price gouging issue that whenever there's a natural disaster, they yell and scream that if you raise the price more than a few percent, we're going to prosecute you and throw you in jail. 
and I am a capitalist and you have a right to charge for your property anything you want. And if you want a bottle of water and I'm willing to give it to you for $100,000, it's my bottle of water. And what gives the right to the government to say, no, you have to sell it at the same price. But so if I, you give me a bottle of water and I drink it and then you tell me that it's $100,000, that's a problem. And that's what happened in Texas. No, I told you before I gave you the bottle of water that the price is going to depend on how hard it is for me to replace it. And you thought after you drink it, you could come and say, wait a minute, you didn't tell me. So I'm just saying, I agree with you if it's a monopoly situation, especially if it's backed by government. But Walmart is under no obligation to sell me anything there for any price in any given time. I just, and by the way, I assume, and I could be wrong, that ERCOT is probably sold on some kind of stock exchange as it is. And who's the money being stolen from? So when the guy who can't pay a $17,000 bill, I'm sorry? ERCOT is a regulator, right? It's a regulator. What I'm saying, the company that's charging this money, right? I assume is a publicly traded company because I believe most of these are. So just assuming that for a minute, they're not eating the $17,000, their investors are. And it just gets back to the whole capitalism thing of, you know, beat up the big bad company. I just have a lot of issues with it. Now I wouldn't want to pay $17,000 either. Just my libertarian side is, is not happy about it. I get well, that part and I agree with that part, but then I, uh, all I'm saying is, I think it's really bad business because it's going to create a mob backlash and it's going to bite them in the booty. It is, but then the only solution, the only solution is they're not going to be able to offer their cheap prices anymore. And it's going to be like everything else, like minimum wage and everything else. They're going to raise the bottom prices and everybody's going to be hurt because they're not going to take a loss. So if you say to them, you can't charge an amazing amount of money when there's a shortage, they're going to say, no problem. They're going to go back to their spreadsheets and find a much better price on the bottom. And everybody's going to get hurt anyway. But see, I'm just, maybe this, maybe I don't understand all of it. I'll put that up, but there's, can they charge that? And should they charge that? And the, should they charge that? I'm looking at it from a business perspective saying, look, if you do, the consequences aren't any better than the government stepping in and saying, we will not allow you to charge that. I'm just saying they're creating an environment for some backlash and hostility that could be way worse than biting losses or something. Or I just think it's, I think it's bad business in the long run. I don't you know? disagree with you. But that's only because we're a country of snowflakes. That's my opinion. I've well, that's the reality we live in. I, I don't know, Steve, but if I got a, a bill, you know, my electric bill is around $300, $200, dollars every month. And if I got an electric bill, you know, semi-unexpectedly for $17,000, first of all, I couldn't pay it. I, I mean, I'd have to find the money somehow. And second of all, it's like, I have email. I have computers. I just, you know, the, the, the electric thing has a computer on it. I have computers. We got Wi-Fi. Tell me about it. Why didn't you tell me about it? Well, first that of all, this happened when you didn't have computers and Wi-Fi because your electricity was down. You know, then it would be down. I would prefer it to be down than to have a bill for something I could not pay. Have to start chopping okay. some. Okay. Uh, okay. Now, I don't want to believe the <laughs> argument, but several years ago, I got an $1,100 water bill. 
my usual order bill for a quarter is about $130, $1,100. And it was paid automatically because that's how I had it set up. Uh-huh. Now, once again, I was raised by a contract judge. So before I complain, I make sure I know what I'm talking about. Well, guess what? I used that water. Now, you're going to argue the water company should have called me up and said, do you not know that you're using 50 times as much water as usual? You probably have a leak. Or is it my responsibility to say, you know what? I got a leak. I need to take care of that. So where, where are we going to draw that line? I know Ed doesn't like when I say where are we going to draw the line, but it's not their problem to call me up and say you're using more than you usually use. I know I use Amazon Web Services and uh, it, for business oriented backups. And uh, Amazon says, hey, what do you want to spend per month? And I say like 50 bucks. And they say, we'll send you an alert when you get to 50 bucks, just so that you know that uh, you're going to exceed it this month. And I'm like, yeah, sign me up for that. And that's how they work. That seems reasonable. It's reasonable because that's what you agreed to. Anyway. Well, you know what, if I, there's so much I agree with you, Steve. Now look, maybe we need to have our education set up so that kids in high school go through, you know, contract classes. And I say that understanding our, our education system can't teach squat. So, but I'm just saying it's really important. And a lot of people have no clue or any understanding about basics of contracts that they sign. Okay. So, so let me pull it into the school loan situation. They're trying to forgive school loans because kids are coming out of college saying, oh my God, I owe $200,000. Well, guess what? You owe $200,000 because you signed a piece of paper saying you owe $200,000, but I didn't realize they were really going to make me pay it. And we're probably going to end up subsidizing that to a certain tune. So again, where's the personal responsibility? That's all I'm arguing. Uh, again, a little bit to add, to, to, add, to, add, to, add P, to add P's point before, let me just get this in real quick. You know, he's saying, well, what, you know, the company in this day and age could easily contact me and alert me and, and all those kinds of things. But by the same token, it's very easy for us to jump on the Internet and look up utility contract with the utility and know what you're getting into. So there is some personal responsibility there. I, I do agree with what Steve is saying. It's not a good sign, Mike. Ed M., you want to save him? <laughs> Uh, no, I was just going to respond to what Jody was saying. It, it's not a school thing. It's a, a parent thing. We need everybody to have a, a contracts judge as a, as a parent. That's really Good luck with do. that. We can't get parents to raise their, I, just, I'm just saying there's a difference between what should be and the reality of the world we live in. I don't, I mean, look at what we can't expect parents to do now we're going to think that they're going to teach their kids contracts that they don't even know it's not going to happen what the schools do you want to give them more responsibilities no but no but i'm saying if if our if we're going to say the expectation is on the buyer of these uh you know of uh, this electricity through the contract these contracts are going to be that important people have to understand their responsibility and how to do it i don't know what the answer is i don't trust education but i can tell you right now you're not going to get parents to do it either. Listen, I, I just got a public adjuster's license. If you don't know what that is, basically uh, we educate people about their, their homeowner's policies, commercial policies. And let me tell you, most people have never looked at those, the, their homeowner's policies. They don't, they don't right. know. They don't know if 
they have the right coverage, not enough coverage, too much coverage, what all the endorsements are, what all the exclusions are, and it's your home. Yeah. People don't know. Yeah, my sister ran into that the other day when her sewer backed up and uh, she did not have the sewer rider on her insurance. I'm like, why don't you have the sewer rider on your insurance? Yeah. And she's like, I didn't know I needed it. And I'm like, and that could, and, that could and cost somebody out, tens of thousands of dollars to fix. So, I'm, I'm, but you know, come on, we're all old and we're all relatively smart. But like somebody like my sister or my mom, they don't get any of this stuff. I mean, yeah, a contract's a contract, but for a contract to be real, you have to have some sort of mutual understanding of what the terms are. And while you lawyers and judges and PhDs and whatnot may understand it, I mean, normal people aren't gonna read that sort of thing and they're not gonna understand it even if they do read it. it it's asking a little bit too much. And they shouldn't be signing documents. I can't tell you how many times I was upset at a company and before I called, because I learned my lesson, before I called, I read what I had actually signed. And if you signed it, you signed it and you signed it, you're signing it in good faith and that you read it. I mean, yeah, you can argue about all the, uh, you know, end user license agreements, the EULAs. You're right. None of us read that. However, we're still stuck with them. So anyway, let's move off this topic now that everybody agrees with me. Um, who wants to talk about Naomi Wolf? Uh, it's exciting. I mean, I hope what I'm seeing is real, right? She's kind of really having her red pill moment. Is she in denial a little bit still of that reality? But that's kind of what I see. So Jody, take 60 seconds and fill everybody in on what she said. Oh, geez. I don't remember verbatim, but she basically said she wouldn't have voted for Joe Biden if she had known that he was going to keep the lockdowns. Although, didn't he kind of say that on the, anyway, and why is it shocking? Uh, she's calling um, it author authoritarian. She's using some pretty nice, strong words. I like to see that um, against the left. And she was a she's been a Democrat, and so she doesn't like what she sees, and so she's getting vocal and angry. And I like it. I mean, it sounded to me like she was on it from the beginning. I mean, she was yeah. using the term "police state," totalitarianism. Yeah. And she, she gets it, you know, she understands our, our natural rights aren't suspended because there's a disease running around. And uh, it was refreshing to see it, but she's uh, an oasis on the left. She, she's, a, she's an island. So um, unfortunately, we have, I don't think she's an island. I think we're we have a lot of people on the right that agree with what's going on too. So we're in the minority on this. I, I think we see a phenomenon here that I've pointed out to Ed before, and that is that the left is on a train to crazy town and people get off. A, a lot of liberals are getting off at various stops. And so, um, you know, Jordan Peterson got off at the forced pronoun stop and Sam Harris got off at the religion of peace stop. And um, Barry Weiss got off at the uh, New York Times is run by children stop. And uh, now uh, Naomi Wolf is getting off on the COVID totalitarianism stop. And you know, we could go on and on about uh, different people who have gotten off this tra train to crazy town. Um, and I think this is just one more person realizing that they can't go all the way to whatever this crazy destination is. And, uh, oh, JK Rowling uh, got off on the, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
women are men stop you know you can think of a bunch of them and uh i you know good for Naomi wolf and i think we're going to see more and more um dave chappelle got off at the comedy can't be funny stop um more and more what what happens to a lot of those people they end up you know getting uh what's the word i'm looking for Cancelled. Jumps on them. Everybody on the left jumps on them and casts them aside. Right. Yeah, they get cancelled. Wouldn't it be great if we had um, a catch net, you know, for comedians somewhere they can go and still earn a living being a comedian? Some, you know, it wouldn't be great if we had our own shadow world and economy where we could take all those people and say, hey, work over here. We've got well, jobs. Well, that's what Ben Shapiro is trying to do. I don't know whether you heard about the Gina Carano thing, which is, was big over the last couple of weeks. Um, ben Shapiro is trying to build this new cultural force uh, at the Daily Wire in movies and comedy and TV shows and whatnot. And it's just getting started. And, um, you know, good for him, because that's exactly what we should be doing. I was pushing for that a decade ago. I gave a pitch on the very thing that, you know, to try and try and get um, TV shows and movies and documentaries that, you know, weren't all leftist driven. So I'm glad to see it. Is Naomi Wolf getting a lot of blowback from the left? I I have to assume she is. I I can't tell you for sure. if she has a Twitter account and you jump on her at uh, messages, I'm, I would imagine you, you would see that. So but I can't say for sure. You know, I put it, I used to wonder, do liberals realize that liberals aren't liberal? And what I mean by that is if you talk to the liberals of the 60s and 70s, they were all against big government and against the military and against being told what to do. And how come they haven't noticed that it's their side doing it all. And when I heard Naomi Wolf, that's what I thought. She's getting it. Liberals aren't liberal. I think the reason they don't get it that, that, that it's their side that's doing it is that there's no opposition from our side. I mean, how many, how many people, how many Ron DeSantis's do we have? Not a whole lot. Our it's side Herbert, is, is going- Herbert Marcuse's idea that you can't be tolerant of the intolerant. And when they define everybody as intolerant other than themselves, then they're just, uh, you know, they, it, the people who have, picked that up and internalized are the ones that and i mean and there's opposition i mean there's opposition to everything that facebook and twitter and all the rest of them have been doing but it's a matter of having the leverage to really do something about it i mean a lot of us have signed up for some of these other outlets MeWe and gab and parlor and all that stuff and it's not it's not the same none of them are up to par with with twitter and facebook in terms of functionality and okay but i think ed's asking if i could speak for him how many Republican politicians and quote leaders have gone on Tucker and said what she said as strongly as she said it? Bingo. Uh, that's a that's a that's a good point. I mean, that you're talking about leadership versus the base and and the grassroots. Well, I think when Ed says, "Correct me if I'm wrong," where's the opposition? I think that's where what he means. That's exactly what I, mean. I would agree with that point. Well, maybe we can't count on them, and at some point we got to realize we can't count on them and form the you know um, a cultural opposition. I think that's the only avenue anyway, personally, but. They work hand in glove. I mean, you've got to do both. I don't think either one by itself is going to be sufficient to, to win. Both are necessary in order to win long-term. Well, maybe we have to start with the cultural since we can't count on the leadership. Get the leadership, get the political leadership to follow the culture. You know, the Republicans will demand 
what the people demand that they demand? Well, I mean, we, we have a, a, a Republican party that's committed to fighting against its base. And, you know, until that, you know, that battle needs to be fought. And, you know, we need to, you know, we need to stand up to the Liz Cheney's and the Mitt Romney's and the Susan Collins's in the party and be willing, perfectly willing to let them be replaced by Democrats because they might as well be Democrats. Um, but to, to the point earlier about why the Democrats or liberals don't care, I mean, they're crushing, they're trying to crush us, they're trying to crush their opposition. So what, why would they care about these, uh, these, you know, tactics that they're using against us? You know, the one story that I saw that made me think of Ed M the most, sorry, Ed, you've picked up a, an initial today, is the story about Republicans I forget which two Republicans trying to pass a $10 minimum wage. And it sounded exactly like what Ed says all the time. Instead of fighting, they just say, let's just do it a little bit less. And I, it just enrages me. Mitt Romney that minimum wages are horrible. Yeah, one was Mitt Romney. I forget who the other one was. Yeah, me too. It may have been Tom Cotton. I'm not sure. Yeah, Tom Cotton. Oh, yes. But let's accept their premise and do it a little bit less and a little bit slower. And your, your voice was echoing in my ears, Ed. What in the living heck is wrong with us? Where is the opposition teaching people minimum wages just cut off the leg of a ladder and hurt everybody that is supposedly designed to help? And then you look at, um, I'm not gonna make any Polish jokes, but why is it that Poland is fighting big tech a thousand times more than any Republican leader in America? they have a based leadership and we don't. I'm sorry, they have a what leadership? Uh, Red-pilled leadership in Poland and Hungary rather than uh, in the United States where we have. And Australia's fighting back. Even Britain is fighting back. What was the red, fighting back. What was the red pill for them? Uh, like Communism. As, so like a long time, they haven't gone back to, because you're talking about their government, right? Yes, so the how Polish does government, government is, decide big government is bad? Say again. How how did their how does their government because you know governments are the first to kind of accept big government as good and try and sell it to the people. How has their government been spared from especially during COVID and oh look we can lock people down? How why has their government been spared of not capitalizing on that power? One of the things I think libertarians um, focus on uh, too much is the economic uh, aspect. Uh, I think that uh, Hungary in particular has, at least until COVID, put in uh, some really positive economic policies of, of uh, lower taxes and, and uh, getting the government cleaned up. Um, I think Poland's probably doing the same, but they're all in the EU, so their economic policies are all crap. But uh, I think in the cultural issues, I think they, it, which is different than taxes or regulations or, or you know, um, restrictions on business, which I think libertarians tend to focus on more. On the cultural issues, um, Poland and Hungary are very, very um, at the forefront of, of pushing back against this new woke totalitarianism. And uh, I, I think because you know, they were communists and they're, they don't want to do that. Anymore. They know the dangers. Okay. Yeah. But how about Australia? Communist, Australia? They should too. And they were communists. 
Australia is a funny country. Um, in, in some ways, they're much more liberal than the United States, but in other ways, they're a lot more conservative. Um, so it's, it's hard to judge Australia without being there. Um, I, I think that we should only use the word woke now in connection with the word totalitarianism. Woke totalitarianism. We should always use that because, you know, get words going. It's effective. And, and we have to remember that they, the rest of the world sees these companies, Facebook and Google and Twitter and, and stuff, as American. And they... And they're not American, they're anti-American, but let's just assume for the moment that, that we see them as American. And so they see all of this uh, censorship and whatnot as American hegemony or American pushing, America pushing people around, which is, you know, America has pushed people around over the years. Um, and they see that as this is just a continuation of that. And to a certain extent, they're right, because it's all part of the regime, right? Um, so I think they resent that. And that sort of anti-American resentment leads to policies that are not obvious from their ideological, you know, direction. I think that makes sense. Well, speaking of woke, Jody, have you had any woke cola this week? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I've got my diet uh -oh. coke right now. Listen. That was one of those things. I'm like, really? They want me to commit suicide? I mean, like, I'm supposed to give up Coke? That I don't think so. No, I don't know. Like, I can't go to Pepsi. <laughs> Pepsi's just as woke. Yeah. So you saw Does New York City with eight levels of whiteness test? Is Snapple okay? <laughs> did it did rush, rush to advertise uh -oh. Snapple, I think. But everybody saw that thing that New York City's been given out, I think, in the schools about the eight levels of whiteness. Yeah, um, I failed that. That is test, so baby. crazy. I mean, we, we are so off the charts in the way we are brainwashing people. And I don't know what chance any child has. Thank God schools are closed. This is with schools being closed to pushing this kind of stuff. It's almost until you self-flagellate, you, you have no right to breathe the same air as everybody else. And to go back to what scary, said, maybe scary. more people will get off of that train. I don't know. I, I do think they are going, I do think people are going to get off that train because parents don't want that at all. I mean, there are some lefty parents, especially in New York City, who, who want that. But, um, but, you know, most parents are like, hey, reading, writing, arithmetic, you know, history, literature, science, Get back to like teaching things. And uh, the, what was one college, uh, Leicester University in England decided to, uh, the English department decided to stop teaching Chaucer and Beowulf and start teaching, you know, critical race instead. And uh, I think nothing before 1500 is what they said, you know, and there's a whole lot of English before 1500. And I, this is happening everywhere. And at some point, People are going to say, well, I'm not going to go get an English degree then. I think I saw that there was a movement to purge To Kill a Mockingbird uh, from the culture, too, because it offends people or it gets them uncomfortable. And that's the whole point of the book. Yeah. <laughs> so scary. It's scary where we are. That's for sure. And now Amazon is banning books 
um, I tend to buy things that are banned um, just for the in principle. Um, but Amazon, Perfect. Amazon, you know, I mean, obviously, uh, I I'm, I hate the you know Nazi types, but they they started by banning kind of uh, Holocaust denying books around 2014, but. That was just the thin edge of edge of a wedge. Now they're banning any, they're banning lots and lots of books that go against the cultural narrative, including uh, this one most recently on sort of the trans ideology. And uh, I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. At some point, it's either got to stop or somebody's got to come and and put up a bookstore. It's like we sell banned books, and whether well, it's, I think Ooh, like I said name, last week. Bookstore. You know, they're jealous because now that we're going to move out shrugged to the nonfiction and we're moving Animal Farm to nonfiction, we got to move the Fahrenheit book to nonfiction. So they were just jealous and Brave New World. They're all moving over there. It really is unbelievable. By the way, I don't know why you shouldn't be able to publish a book that denies the Holocaust. What do I care? I don't know how that hurts my feelings. It doesn't hurt my feelings at all. If you want to be a public idiot, be a public idiot. And they well, still sell my cops. I'm sorry. Even if it, even if it did hurt your feelings, why does your hurt feelings get to usurp my desire to read a book? It doesn't. I know. I'm just saying that's that's the logic I take. You know, well, your hurt feelings doesn't mean that everybody gets to bow to that and you know, be denied things. Well, as a cultural proposition, this country has for two hundred and over two hundred years. Had, had the value of free and robust debate and discussion. Um, you know, there's a famous Supreme Court decision that says the answer to, to bad speech or false speech is more speech. More speech. Um, and on a cultural level, that's, this is a cultural battle and it's an important cultural battle to, to not surrender on because if this, this could be the ball game if we if we surrender on it. We need to make sure that we are the ones standing up for the free and robust exchange of information, whether whether it's political, not so much on a political level, but on a cultural level. Uh, hey, Steve, there was something I want to make sure we address before we close today, and it was the letter from the House Democrats. Um, uh, was it the one where they they're basically the Democrats basically are engaging in, I don't know, like maybe veiled threats to private companies to act a certain way. Isn't that illegal? You know, those things that I've read, they're not allowed to engage in coercing or whatever businesses to provide a service or not provide a service. Right. That's like, what the government does. Can't they get in trouble for, you know. I'm sure Merrick Garland will get right on that. <laughs> well, you know, Mitch McConnell is backing him now, so that's great. But Ed, Ed, do you understand what she's asking, and you want to address that? I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. I remember a letter. I think it was a, wasn't it a hearing, in, in, involving? There was the letter. No, they sent a letter I think to there cable was more companies. More than one. Right. It was. I was going to say it's, it's the story that Steve you mentioned at the beginning about uh, cable companies dropping Fox News and OAN and, and Newsmax. I think that's what yes, you're Steve, or, uh, Yes, that's it. And, you know, I, I wanted to, to discuss that too earlier. I'm glad, Jody, you brought it up. 
it's another, that's another point for the, they're just a private company crowd that we need to throw in their face. The threat of regulation can be regulation for purposes of the first amendment. And that's how I take it. It's, you know, what, can they do that or not? They can do whatever they want. As Ed Powell mentioned or said, that is what they do, but it transforms these private companies into agents of the state when they enact the censorship that the government itself doesn't really have the power to do. So legally, there's no, they're not, that's okay. So well, they could. It's okay. It's not okay. So, I mean, so Republicans could go in and threaten abortion doctors, you know, you better not give, you know, you better not do this. We want to know. We want. They, we want to know. Want to do that. They 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 advocate forced speech from doctors to women about what the you know what the heartbeat is and you know the baby can that the fetus can feel pain. Um, they try and do that all the time. Well, I think there's a difference between passing a law. Yeah, that's what and I'm writing a letter. That it's has like getting around the law. law. Getting around having to make a law instead of making a law. Right. And right, well, they, I think you brought it up before, Edward. Jody, they're, not Jody, allowed, they're not allowed to do something that they can't legally do. They're not allowed to to, to have a uh, an industry do what they can't, what Congress can't legally do. Right. They're, they're using coercive tactics. If you remember, Jody, there was a Wall Street Journal op-ed about the big tech back in Jan uh, December, and I think you actually shared it, and it talked about this. The government... Uh, cannot just use arm twisting and coercive tactics to impose their will and, and violate rights. So, I mean, in this case, they would kind of be violating the First Amendment if if right. House members are essentially sort of threatening cable companies not to play Fox News. That seems to me like that would be against the law, I mean, the First Amendment. So how can they coerce private industries to break the First Amendment law and get away with that. But in my view, this is almost like good because they're showing their, their true colors at, at this point more. And it talk, this is, goes to the heart of what we talked about in terms of the cultural impact of big tech. We're just moving one step closer to the government actually doing it, that they're actually out there publicly saying these things and advocating for right-wing television stations to be thrown off the air. Well, let's, let's game it out, right? Let's, let's say they did get Newsmax to get uh, some cable company somewhere to throw Newsmax off of their cable thing. But that's not tomorrow. It's three, four months from now. And then uh, what's Newsmax going to do? Okay, they can sue in federal court, the cable company and potentially the Democrats. But the cable company says, oh, no, 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 we didn't do that. It just wasn't making money for us, you see, because uh, and and then it goes in front of a federal judge. And as we've seen lately, the federal judiciary is not interested in justice anymore. And it just dies. And then as soon as the first cable company gets rid of Newsmax, then it will go like dominoes. But it won't be tomorrow because then you can draw a direct line between the, the letter and the action. It'll be three months, six months, a year from now when that happens, running up to like the 2022 elections, something like that. Right. And that's what and they intend. That's what they intend. And, I, and I, to take it even further, the, the even more dangerous aspect of it is 
the amount of this that goes on without that letter and without the congressional hearings even taking place. I mean, you've got, you've got a revolving door of employment between top legislative aides and top level executive positions in some of these big companies, especially in big tech. And, and even without the revolving door of employment, you have informal communications. I mean, you don't need, you don't need a letter to, to Dorsey at Twitter or, or Zuckerberg at Facebook if they're on a weekly conference call yeah. and they just, you know, hey, you know, and, and Schumer just says, you know, not for nothing, but it, wouldn't it be nice if, if so-and-so were, were silenced? You know, you don't have to, and we're not threatening you or anything, or, or they don't even, he doesn't even need to do that. I mean, doors, I mean, these guys are all leftists in the first place. They don't need to be told what to do. They're going to do it anyway. And, you know, they may get informal instructions from the government, but maybe not. Yeah, I hate to bring up Ed, my favorite novel, Atlas Shrugged, but you, anybody who's read that can understand that a lot of policy is done at cocktail parties, not at uh, hearings or uh, in cloakrooms. It's like, yeah, those, uh, that Ben Shapiro is really getting a lot of traction on Facebook. And he's awful. Yeah, yeah, I hate Ben Shapiro. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I want, if, if only something could be done. I don't know, you know, and then three weeks later, uh, Ben Shapiro is banned from Facebook. So interestingly enough, do shareholders have any claims that can be made against a company that's dropping big profit ma makers for them? Good question. I mean, they could bring shareholder derivative suits, but I mean, the business judgment rule protects most corporate action. It's going to have to be there's going to have to be, it has to be something very egregious and for which there's no, uh, no other explanation other than uh, malfeasance. Um, so, I mean, in theory, yes, but in, in the real world, there's probably not a whole lot that the shareholders are going to be able to do. Other than sell. Correct. Which I, I think also gets back to culture and personal responsibility, since these are publicly traded companies. I know, you know, Facebook took some hit and Twitter took some hit. I guess the only recourse when Twitter drops Trump, who's a whopping percentage probably of all their traffic, and then they drop other people, is for shareholders to chuck it. And again, it goes back to educating the populace to actually do something. Well, well, I got to say, his own I, worst enemy, of course, he should have just gotten on Gavin and run, run with that. That would have been I mean, the, the next day he should have been on Gavin and posting his, you know, his. Um, brand of. Post, which I can't well, I think he was going to go to parlor and then they shut it. So. But they can't shut Gab down. That's the problem. Gab is uh, both anti-fragile and. Um, you know, because they tried to do it before and they built back up from scratch, so they can't shut it down. Uh, it'll be, I mean, I guess if the government seized the servers, they could shut it down. Like I mean, you know, anybody here of a guy named Navalny in Russia? Oh, yeah, the guy no. was potentially poisoned, although never, we don't quite know right. about so that. So when we say the government can't do something because we assume that the government has limits, and sadly, you know, what was the name of the guy about uh was it eight years ago that guy who made that video causing them to kill all the uh people in libya remember that video that riled up the uh street uh, in libya and they, was, went, they killed all those people and the government jailed him for a year yeah i don't think that i think that was false i mean 
No. I, I don't think the video. I don't think the video. No. Had anything to do with You're it. shocking me. But they did jail the guy. Yeah. And they jailed him. So when you say the government can't, I would always like to think you're right. They can't. But after that one, why can't they? I, yes, I mean, obviously they could go and arrest everybody, but the servers themselves are distributed throughout the world. It, you know, the FBI doesn't it's have- It's not to hard to secondarily boycott servers. It's not hard to boycott. It's not hard for them to say to American Airlines, you know, yeah. it's a real shame about you flying those servers over here from China. We're not gonna be able to give you so much business. We may have to start looking at those jet engines a little bit more. And then American Airlines said, you know what? We're not flying those servers anymore. So I don't know that we're playing by the rules we used to play by. It's unbelievable what they can do when they want to stop something. And you're talking Atlas Shrugged here, folks. Wasn't there that, that thing they made out in the Midwest that they dragged uh, that doctor out there to make a speech about? What was that? That sonic weapon? Yeah. And he didn't realize that they're playing by different rules. Yes. I think that the government now has reached the level of corruption that it's beyond anything we really mm -hmm. understand. And by the way, aren't servers, correct me if I'm wrong, aren't they plugged into that thing in the wall that gives them power? Yes. So what do we mean? Potentially plugged in in Thailand or Singapore or Poland or, or someplace where it would be difficult for the U.S. government to get them. They could potentially see. I'm not even sure. I don't even know if it's that difficult nowadays for the government to shut off select computers with what they know from Google and Facebook about all of our uses. I, again, a year ago, I would have said I'm wearing a tinfoil hat, but I just wonder. Nothing's impossible. Certain things are harder than others. Like shutting down Parler was easy. Shutting down Gab would be hard. Mm -hmm. What would you say if I would tell you the government could make everybody wear a mask outside? Would you say that's likely? <sighs> Unbelievable. I don't wear a mask outside. That's crazy. But I'll wear it when I go into the damn grocery store. Well, listen, I agree with uh, Christine Ohm. I have nothing against masks. Just don't mandate them. But again, a full year ago, we were still in February. If you would have said the government would force people to wear masks. And, you know, somebody wrote a great article today about how we're so thankful to the government for giving us back 1% of our freedoms. Like New York may go from 25% dining to 35%. And they may let us go to a movie theater. Like, oh my God, they're so beneficent. And we've forgotten that they're the ones that took it all away from us. And I think that reminds me of that other book, 1984, when the price of chocolate went down. So again, the powers the government has and then when you do hook them up with big tech the way they are, I don't know. The American people keep allowing it, though. I mean, you know, it's weird. I have some millennial friends, like 30. And they are deathly afraid of this disease. Deathly. They won't go anywhere. When they go, they wear like the N95s and, and, and everywhere. And they're like yeah. huddling in their house for a year. And like, when will this end? It's like, you're 30. If you get it, you'll be fine. What are you talking about? But so scary. They, won't, they won't do it. And here I am, I'm 58 and I'm visiting my mom and I'm visiting my sister and I'm visiting with Ed and 
you know, it's like, well, we're going to take reasonable precautions, but we're not going to lose our complete contact with reality. But these millennials are so brainwashed into thinking that if they got this disease, it would be the end of the world. A friend of mine about my age got it in uh, Thanksgiving and he was sick like Thanksgiving and the day after. And then like he coughed that Saturday and Sunday a lot more than usual. And that was it. That, that was his disease. And like most people, that's their disease. And yet all of these kids with 30 year olds are kids are like cowering. I have, I have some of those brainwashed also in my um, experience. It's really scary to see because they're not, not, they're, they're hostile even to a rational conversation about it. It's super scary. Yeah, you're right. I know people in their 30s who have basically not left their homes in a year. That is unbelievable. I know people older than that that have done that. There are some people that are afraid of this thing. And Well, if you're in your 90s, you may have a point. Yeah, and my mom's I'm 80, talking, I'm talking like five and has uh, emphysema. Late, She's scared. Late 50s. <laughs> So, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I know right. Let's we're running wrap late. Up. Mike, uh, since you're yeah. talking, I'll let you say your... Uh... Well, I know we're running late. I, I kind of wanted to talk about the Supreme Court rejecting the last... Talk, talk about it. Go for it. Well, you know, we talked a, l- a little bit about this behind the scenes. I mean, my, my concern about everything at this point is that every case has been brought forward it's been either too early it's too late it's moot when when the heck is is the case ripe and what i'm really concerned about at this point is that we're gonna you know you start looking ahead to 2022 and you know republicans maybe they grow a spine in between then and they they pass a resolution like ed was talking about um maybe they even pass some other legislation but the liberals already have a roadmap and they're going to go to the courts and it could be August or September of 22. And all of a sudden the secretary of state, uh, you know, rogue courts are saying, oh yeah, just start mailing out the ballots again. And don't worry about the signatures and everything else. We're going to be in the same situation again. So. By the way, just to add to that, Mike, legislatures are not in session at the times of elections for the most part. And so therefore, they're by definition yeah. powerless. If you change the government changes, a governor changes the law in September unilaterally, there is no legislature. And in many of the states, they can't even call themselves into session. So yeah, that's, that's how true. bad this is. Yeah, I think only New Jersey and Virginia have the off year elections like New Jersey. The full legislature is up this year. Next year, they won't be. But yeah, you're right. I mean, they would have to probably call some sort of special session or something. And a lot of them can't call their own. They so, need governors to do it. You uh-uh. know, a lot of legislatures meet for a few months a year. They're not meeting in the end of the year at all. So uh-uh. when we say the legislature, they're not even around. I think that's a flaw in the way these legislatures are set up in a way that they can't just meet when they feel like meeting. And, I, you know, it's interesting because well, Daniel Horowitz, I'm sorry? What's to stop them from meeting? If the governor or the courts, if one of the other coordinate branches of government oversteps its bounds and acts unconstitutionally, the legislature should be able to come together and say, we're going to stop this, especially when it comes to elections, which the federal constitution vests power exclusively in the state legislatures. They need to take their power back. And that's 
Go ahead. No, okay. so I, I, have, I obviously haven't read 50 state constitutions, but I don't know where the rules are as to when legislatures are in session. Are those made by the legislatures? Are they constitutional? I have no clue how that works. Okay, but the legislature could reconvene in October, early October of 2022 and say, no way you're doing that. And then, then it's back to the courts again. They're going to survive. So I'm like, sure. That's the I'm whole thing. We I'm teeing this up for Ed. So <laughs> go ahead. What? I'm, I'm teeing that up for you. You're the lawyer. So go ahead. <laughs> I just think that we need to end judicial supremacy. And, and as conservatives, we're always complaining about judges shouldn't get the final say on the Constitution and on, on critical issues. And yet when it comes to these election battles, we're just bowing down to whatever the courts are willing to say when it's state legislatures that have the power and the, the, the legislatures have to assert their power. And that's really the answer. Um, and as far as, as the challenges go, I, I don't think it's that there were many challenges prior to the election. The most of the challenges were after the election and that's too late for the most part. I, you know, Trump was talking about election fraud all year. All year, he talked about they're going to cheat. They're going to cheat. You know, we're okay with absentee ballots, but we're not okay with mail-in balloting. Well, it wasn't enough to just talk about it. He should have done something about it. And and, and on top of doing something about it, whether it was a, a lawsuit he brought on his own on behalf of his own campaign, or having his attorney general and justice department do something about it under the Voting Rights Act, um, he he could have had he and the Republican Party should have had legal teams ready and, and challenging these laws right from the moment that the Democrats said, we're gonna do mail-in balloting for, for the primaries. And, and unfortunately, Trump just decided, well, you know, the Republicans, they were asleep at the wheel. They said, well, we don't, need, we don't have to worry about it. It's not our primary. You know, Trump is gonna be the, pre, you know, the presidential nominee. And instead they should have, last March, when this all started, they should have gone right to court and said, no, this, this violates a state law. This violates the federal law. They slept at the, at the switch. And then after they participated in an election, they wanted to undo it. And, and I'm, you know, as much as I believe that there was a, there was a lot of fraud in this election, I'm not too sympathetic to that argument. I think that uh, the mootness argument wasn't a bad argument to me, frankly. Okay. Here, here's the thing. Again, it comes down to how do we stop this from happening next time? So you're, you're going to tell me with confidence that if lawsuits and challenges are brought and legislatures uh, respond appropriately to put a stop to it, that that's going to work? I have three quick uh, things uh, on this. The first is that the uh, NRA of, you know, is in the tank now, but for many years, uh, they didn't want any lawsuits because they didn't trust the judiciary to protect rights. And I think that's something that we're all learning now, that the judiciary is not going to protect our rights. They organized at the local level and they pressured state legislatures. That's how they got the, you know, fairly relatively free gun uh, culture in the United States today. Second, there's a great new book out called The Deep Rig by Patrick Byrne, B-Y-R-N-E. He had a front row seat for the um, uh, election and the uh, fight uh, against it. And it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant book uh, that would be right in everybody's wheelhouse to find out what um, actually happened behind the scenes and, and 
to spoil it a little bit, uh, Trump had terrible people working for him. Um, and I think the third thing is that um, Curtis Yarvin, the, the um, you know, blogger, uh, said that elections are like water polo. If you've ever watched a water polo match, uh, there's uh, a lot of people uh, with the ball and they try and swim and get in. But under the water, there's all sorts of fighting and grabbing and punching and kicking. And all of that is illegal. But the referee has his head above the water. So the referee is looking at fouls above the water, but he's not seeing all the fouls below the water. But that's how the game is won, by, by fouling and punching and kicking and all of the mean, dirty things that they do under the water in water polo. And he said, elections is like that. And in this election, one team was playing water polo and the other team was doing the Marcus of Queensbury rules and wouldn't engage in any of the kicking or biting or scratching or any of, you know, grabbing people by the privates that actually occurs in water polo. And if the Republicans ever want to win, they're going to have to learn how to play the game the way the game is actually played. And I'm going to correct you on one thing with all due respect. The Republicans do play that game when it comes to crushing conservatives in primaries. Yeah. Mitch McConnell is a master at fighting dirty when he wants to destroy a conservative. And the problem is they don't want to fight that way for the causes we want. I just sent you guys a link on the chat. Fascinating um, how different state legislatures can be called into session. 14 states can only be called into session by the governor, which the way I read it, that means if they meet, that's illegal and nothing they pass matters. Okay, because that's how I understand laws. And the other states all have very different rules. Some need three fifths. So the idea that legislatures can meet whenever they want to do what they want is simply not true. But here you are, you're complaining about courts following technical rules for, for deciding cases like mootness and ripeness. And you're saying that's wrong, but you're now saying that legislatures should follow those same kinds of technical rules. If the, if the judiciary or the executive branch is acting unconstitutionally, the legislature needs to take action and, and, and let the chips fall where they may and, and assert their power in every they don't state. have, there is no power to they assert. Have the, they have as much power as, as the unconstitutional act had that they're trying to rebut and that they're trying to re repeal. No, because you're not, okay. If you're telling me that the Supreme Court unconstitutionally had one of them meet on a golf course with one lawyer and came down with a ruling, you're right, that's an unconstitutional ruling. But as long as the Supreme Court convenes and wears their fancy robes and throws in a few Latin words, by definition, that is legal. It's not the same as the state legislature meeting when they're not allowed to meet. One is legal, one is not. It's horrible, but it's legal. If a constitution says a legislator, legislature can only meet under these terms, constitution does not say Supreme Court has to address a case. Now, I believe it's a horrible flaw in the constitution. I've said it before. Supreme Court has no job description whatsoever. They do not have to hear one case ever. And there's nothing anybody can do short of impeaching them, which will never happen. That's a problem. But as long as they get up there, all nine of them, they can play cards and rule anything they want on anything. That's legal. That's not the let's same take, as meeting. Let, let's take the Georgia situation where you had the Secretary of State enter into a consent. You know, Stacey Abrams group sues mm -hmm. the state. The Secretary of State defends the case. They come to an agreement where they change the election laws. They put it in front of a judge. The judge signs the order 
and they have a consent decree. The legislature hasn't been consulted. The legislature is not a part of it. That's an unconstitutional act on both of the other two branches of government. The legislature doesn't, they're not prevented from responding to that and, and asserting their own prerogative and their own power just because some of the other two branches ganged up on them and acted contrary to the constitution. Okay, number one, they can only meet with a petition signed by three-fifths, which is a lot more than majority, which obviously they're never gonna get. But number two- about an act that was unconstitutional ultra vires in the first place. Okay, so <laughs> we're going back to Mike's argument, which is my argument. It's unconstitutional. There is only one route in this country to stop an unconstitutional thing, and that's by going to the Supreme Court, which no, gets- No, no, that's, that's the whole thing. I mean, Ed Powell was talking about how the NRA didn't want to go to legislatures because the judiciary doesn't protect our rights. And, and I think that that's what we're learning now. And, and more fundamentally, saying, the, the conservative position for, for 50 years has been, we, we oppose judicial supremacy, that, that the legislature gets the final say, not a judge or a court. Okay, okay, so let's go with it. So Georgia gets its three-fifths and they sign a petition last October to say that what the Secretary of State did is unconstitutional, we don't allow it. And I'm gonna say, and who cares? Well, they, as, part of that, as part of that, they, they should have had a resolution saying we're gonna ignore any ballots that are-, that are uh, that, Right, that and you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna write a letter to Mike Pence on January 6th and he's gonna say, screw yourself. And no, that is what happened. Several the, state they, legislatures they went, have the power to appoint the, the electors themselves. And my, okay. have an election. And states, there were states that actually had alternate legis alternate electors, and Mike Pence decided, I don't care. So what are they supposed to do? They no, no, can no, write no. A, if they no, write a no, letter. No, no state legislature elected alternate rep legislate uh electors. What you had was was a basically a fake legislature. The minority got together and said. This is the slate of electors that we want to certify. Why is that fake? You just said it's not fake. They could do what they because want. Because it wasn't a majority of the legislature. It was just a minority faction of the legislature. Why? You, so what? Well, who says it can't be a minority? The same rule that says they can't meet without the governor. Because the same rule that says they the, can't open a session without permission. The minority doesn't speak for the legislature. The power resides in the legislature as a whole, okay. not, in a, not in parts and of it. And now the legislature says what they want, and how do they enforce it? Legislators do not enforce rulings. Only judiciary does, period. There's nothing the legislature can do. I just disagree with preemptive surrender like that. They, if they, they should go and take their power as best they can. And if, and if the courts and the, and the executive continue to so, gang up on them, then we'll take, that, mean, we'll take the next step when that happens. Ed, what, I mean, let me try to follow what you're saying here. Like a, a state legislature meets in February of 2022 and they say, we're the ones that make the rules God damn it, you're not allowed to do anything else, Madam Secretary of State. And we're warning you, the court of, you know, the state Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, you better not rule against us. And they do it anyway. And we're back in the same situation that we just found ourselves in. You're saying, don't go to the court, that the legislature needs to convene. And after people have voted, right? After they oh, voted, all the, mail -in ballot, all the mail-in ballots are out there and everything. Everybody's voted now. Now you want the state legislature to come in and say, "No, no, you, you." No. Look, we're in a post-constitutional order here, so no, I, I what we have to do. I'm trying to follow what Ed, what Ed is saying. So I, I'm I think saying that the legislature needs to start asserting its power before the election, not wait until after the election. Okay, but like I said, they do it in February, so you better not do what we 
what we have said has to be done and they do it anyway. But they can't just, I'm not advocating just making one statement in February or October or whatever. It needs to be a, it needs to be repeated. It needs to be made clear that, that, the, the legislature is speaking and the legislature does not approve of what's going on. And, and then, what, ha- then you what, happens the when, what happens when the millions of mail-in ballots go out and they waive the signature verification and all that kind of crap? What, what then? Well, I don't know. Maybe at that point you're, you're, you're at the revolution point. I don't know. But um, if you don't lay the foundation, then you're not at revolution stage. You know, the founders didn't just go half cocked and say, we're gonna just start a revolution. They petitioned and petitioned and petitioned and they made their case over a 15 year period from about 1760 to 1775. And I remember something about tea. It was more than tea. It was the Sugar Act, the Stamp Act, the Townsend Act. I remember something about a violent um, act, something in 1773 that was pretty wild. And if we would do that today, we would be insurrectionists and they'd build razor wires around the boats. I mean, you can't just look at that isolated. They, they they tried all sorts of persuade methods of persuasion to to assert their own rights to the to the parliament and parliament ignored them. Okay, so let's flip the script here. Pence got up there on January sixth and said, "I have no right to determine which electors I'm going to accept. I have no right to listen to these letters from legislatures, etc." Now let's go to 2024, and the opposite scenario happens. Because I happen to know that most of the Georgia legislature listens to this show. And they meet together after the election and they said, you know what? We don't like the shenanigans that Raffensperger, whatever his name was, did. We are appointing other electors and we are sending them to Washington. And Vice President Kamala Harris says, you know what? That's really nice, but I'm not opening that envelope. I'm opening the first envelope. You still have no enforcement mechanism whatsoever. Well, at that point, then you have you can make objections by a, by a House member and a Senate member. I mean, and the Congress gets to decide that, which yeah, is a legislature. Well. It worked out really well this year. Well, the Democrats were in control of the legislature. You got to make sure that you win the legislature. I don't know. I wish it would work. Well, hey, Powell, were you going to say something? Just we have to learn how to fight, you know, in any way we can short of violence. And I think that, um, you know, instead of giving all the Republicans COVID shots, I think we should give them testosterone shots because that's what they really need is they need a little bit of, uh, they need a little bit of testosterone and learn how to fight. You know, Ed Powell, I think it was you brought up earlier also um, playing, we understand the game they're playing, but the game that they play is there's no rules, right? I mean, they can change it as they want going along and, we need to understand that reality of the game we're playing, that there's no rules on their side. They make it up. Tomorrow's rules will be different than today's rules. Absolutely. Well, to sum it up, I mean, I'm obviously concerned that we're going to just see a, re- a redox of what we just saw in, in two years and four years. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know what else to add to it. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid that if Ed's right, then we got to start uh, getting our guns ready or something. I don't know. But I, I... Now, what would have happened had when, when Raffensperger signed that deal with Stacey Abrams, if they would have gone to court then, what would have happened? Who's they? 
I guess the legislature to say that what happened was illegal, but a legislature can't go to court because they're not in session. So who's supposed to protest that? The court will say you have no standing to protest it. Well, they could have they could have tried to intervene in the case. Okay, you can have an intervener who has an interest in the case. They might have been able to to be accepted as an, an intervention, or they could just pass legislation that superseded the order. I mean, those are the two options that the legislature had. You know, one of the things I'm learning from the few state legislator friends I have, at least in New Hampshire, is things don't work the way we think they work. And getting anything passed out of a committee is darn near impossible. And these legislatures also have these strange rules. Like, you're not even allowed to propose bills during the legislative session. They all had to be proposed last year. And these rules are arcane and I think most of us are totally unaware and they're different in every state. It sounds easy to get up there and propose a bill, but to actually even get people on your side, so to speak, to back those bills is darn near impossible. I mean, we got a legislator friend in New Hampshire who's trying to pass a bill about daylight savings time right now. Well, all I'll say is, I think Ed Powell covered that a few minutes ago when he said, we need to get testosterone shots for the for the Republican Party. Well, to give some uh, here here's good news that just came over the email. The Virginia House of Delegates voted 99 to 8 to resume in-person five-day instruction at schools with the teacher present. So it's a veto-proof majority. It's and it's from a Democrat um, legislature um, uh, going <laughs> to the governor. And now, unfortunately, most bills take effect on July 1st. That's just the way things happen. But I mean, I think that's a, a that's a great pushback. I, it's I, a great pushback. But in New York City, they're trying it. Chicago, they're trying it. The unions refuse. And then what? Defund. Uh, luckily, there are no unions, uh, teachers unions in Virginia. Of course, there's informal um, representation, but there are no. Uh, good. Now, I think we need a Reagan who says, if you're not going to teach, we're going to fire the whole you're place. Fire. Yes, exactly. absolutely. Fire them all. A man. A woman. Sorry, a woman. <laughs> all right, Jody, what, what have you not gotten to say today? Oh, you know, the, the thing I really wanted to say was to chastise um, the cruises for leaving their dog home. I'm just still upset about that. And everybody else who might have left their pets to freeze. I'm, I don't know. That was the only thing. That was the really important thing. You know how I roll. I really care about dogs. I'm we would never know. leave the cats to freeze. This is no. Orion. He's the CFO of my company. That's really what I wanted to get in. All right. Ed P, any closing uh, words of wisdom? Just that we got to understand what the game is. If you want to play the game, understand what the game is. Can you name that book again, please? The book is called The Deep Rig, Patrick Byrne, B-Y-R-N-E. Great. Three ninety-nine. Okay. On Amazon? Yes, Kindle on Amazon. Get it before Amazon bans it. Yeah. Great. Ed M, closing words. Well, the, only, the one thing I, I wanted to say earlier but just didn't get a chance to say was uh, I think that some smart politician in Texas or maybe just some nonprofit group should start putting some footage together and creating some commercials to put into, into Mexico 
and Central America about how terrible it is in Texas. And maybe that's a way to, to keep people from coming up here um, to turn lemons into lemonade. Um, as far as uh, closing thoughts, we're way over time. So I'll just make it short and sweet. Maybe we'll get into this next week or in coming weeks. I, I think people on our side are very concerned about socialism and communism. And I think those are valid concerns, but I think the real end game here is globalism. And globalism is a much more benign sounding term that a lot of people on the right are, are in favor of. They believe it's, especially in the libertarian movement that they believe that division of labor is, is, a is, is good in every instance. And I think that there are a lot of anti-American nations and people out around the globe. And uh, that's, that's really the, the end game that we're, that we're up against here. And we've got to be ready to, to deal with that. And we shouldn't accept globalism. We need to, you know, Trump was, was more right than he knew when he came up with America first. All right. Can we get an A woman? A woman. A woman. A woman. Okay. With that, we'll wrap it up. We will be up as a podcast within about half hour, maybe a little bit more on iTunes, Rumble, SoundCloud, etc. Um, anyone listening to the podcast, please join us live where you can call in, zoom in and argue with us because some of us like to argue. So thank everyone for being here today. Have a great day.